Thank you for joining us and listening to this message from the Ministry of Grace Providence Church in Cerritos, California. For more information, visit our website at www.graceprovidencechurch.org. Turn to Daniel chapter 6. Again, this will be a, a reading of the entire chapter. So you hear the whole story at once, and then we'll go back and make some comments on certain verses. One of the most beloved stories of the Word of God, right here. It pleased Darius to set up over the kingdom 120 satraps to be throughout the whole kingdom, and over them three presidents of whom Daniel was one, and to whom these satraps should give account, so that the king might suffer no loss. Then this Daniel became distinguished above all the other presidents and satraps, because an excellent spirit was in him. And the king planned to set him over the whole kingdom." Then the presidents and the satraps sought to find ground for complaint against Daniel. They were a little jealous of Daniel. He's a foreigner, he's a Jew, and they're in Babylon. What is this foreigner doing ruling over us? So this is what's behind it. They're possessed by envy and jealousy. So they sought to find a ground to complain against Daniel with regard to the kingdom. But they could find no ground for complaint or any fault because he was faithful and no error or fault was found in him. Then these men said, we shall not find any ground for complaint against Daniel unless we find it in connection with the law of his God. In other words, some religious ground to Persecute him. Then these presidents and satraps came by agreement to the king and said to him, O King Darius, live forever. All the presidents of the kingdom and the prefects and the satraps, the counselors and the governors are agreed that the king should establish an ordinance and enforce an injunction that whoever makes a petition to any god or man for 30 days, except to you, O king, shall be cast into the den of lions. Now, O king, establish the injunction and sign the document so that it cannot be changed according to the law of the Medes and the Persians, which cannot be revoked. Therefore, King Darius signed the document. And injunction. Verse 10. When Daniel knew that the document had been signed, he went to the house where he had windows in his upper chamber open toward Jerusalem. And he got down on his knees three times a day and prayed and gave thanks before his God as he had done previously. Then these men came by agreement. And found Daniel making petition and plea before his God. Then they came near and said before the king concerning the injunction. O king, did you not sign an injunction that anyone who makes a petition to any god or man within 30 days except to you, O king, shall be cast into the den of lions? The king answered and said, the thing stands fast according to the law of the Medes and the Persians, which cannot be revoked. Then they answered and said before the king, Daniel, who is one of the exiles from Judah, pays no attention to you, O king, or the injunction you have signed, but makes his petition three times a day. And the king, when he heard these words, was much distressed and set his mind to deliver Daniel. And he labored till sun 
went down to rescue him. Then these, mean, then these men came by agreement to the king and said to the king, Know, O king, that it is the law of the Medes and the Persians that no injunction or ordinance that the king establishes can be changed. Then the king commanded, and Daniel was brought and cast into the den of lions. The king declared to Daniel, May your God, whom you serve, continually deliver you. And a stone was brought and laid on the mouth of the den, and the king sealed it with his own signet and with the signet of his lords, that nothing might be changed concerning Daniel. Then the king went to his palace, and he spent the night fasting. No diversions were brought to him. No entertainment. And sleep fled from him. Then at the break of the day, the king arose and went in haste to the den of lions. And as he came near to the den where Daniel was, he cried out in a tone of anguish. The king declared to Daniel, O Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God whom you serve continually been able to deliver you? From the lions? Then Daniel answered and said to the king, O king, live forever. My God sent his angel and shut the lions' mouths, and they have not harmed me, because I was found blameless before him, and also before you, O king, I have done no harm. Then the king was exceedingly glad and commanded that Daniel be taken out of the den. So Daniel was taken out of the den, and no kind of harm was found on him because he had trusted in his God. In other words, not a scratch. He didn't have a bite. He didn't have a scratch. No harm came to Daniel the entire night. He was with the lions. And the king commanded, and those men who had maliciously accused Daniel were brought and cast into the den of lions. They, their children, and their wives. And before they reached the bottom of the den, the lions overpowered them and broke all their bones in pieces. Then King Darius wrote to all the peoples, nations, languages that dwell in all, says the earth, but probably should be the land. Peace be multiplied to you. I make a decree that in all my royal dominion, people are to tremble and fear before the God of Daniel. Now here's the reason. For he is the living God. Enduring forever, his kingdom shall never be destroyed and his dominion shall have no end. He delivers and rescues his works, signs, and wonders. He he works signs and wonders in heaven and on earth. He who has saved Daniel from the power of the lions. So this Daniel prospered during the reign of Darius and the reign of Cyrus, uh, the Persian. Daniel in the lion's den. The story is alluded to in the book of Hebrews, chapter 11, the great chapter on faith, when it says, through faith, they stop the mouths of lions. Same place where he went on to say that they quenched fire referring to the third chapter and the deliverance of his three friends from the burning, fiery furnace. So it's interesting, the book of Hebrews 11 refers to these two great miracles of the book of Daniel, chapter 3 and chapter 6. It is said that early Christians decorated their graves with images of Daniel standing among the lions. I wonder if Paul had this in mind when he said in his last letter to Timothy, chapter 4, that he was rescued from the mouth of the lion. 
Did Paul have this story in mind? He may have. Anyway, so let's look now. First of all, verses 1 to 9, the plot to kill Daniel. The plot to kill Daniel. Right off, we're introduced to this ruler by the name of Darius. He's mentioned at the end of chapter 5 and now again here. I want to mention briefly that there is a problem with who this man is. I want to mention it just so you're somewhat familiar with it. There's no record so far that's been found of anybody by the name of Darius outside of the Bible. The Bible mentions him here several times, but outside of the Word of God, he is not mentioned. And so there's been some criticism made through the years about Daniel's reference to an individual. There's no proof that he ever lived. This could argue against the reliability of the Old Testament and so on. I want to mention somebody who taught on the criticism of the Old Testament and also was a professor of ancient languages, Semitic languages. In fact, he knew 45 languages. He learned 45 languages, ancient languages. Robert Dick Wilson of the early 20th century, professor of those two areas at Princeton Theological Seminary. I have his old book on studies in Daniel, and this is one of the areas he goes into. And I want to tell you what Robert Dick Wilson says who Darius was. He makes a a great case for it. So this is what we want to bring out. This Darius is not to be confused with the Darius I or Darius the Great, who was the successor of Cyrus of Persia. That Darius comes later. This is not the same Darius. This is somebody who reigned at the same time as Cyrus over the Medo-Persian Empire. So it's important to keep that distinction. And it appears from a couple of texts from the book of Daniel that Darius was given rule over Babylon in particular. You'll notice the end of verse at of chapter 5, verse 31. And Darius the Mede received, listen to this language, received the kingdom being about 62 years of age. That is, the kingdom over Babylon. And then in chapter 9, it says again that he was made the king over the realm of the Chaldeans. So when the Medes and the Persians conquered Babylon, there was an individual who was the governor in, in among the Medes by the name of Gobirus. And it is said of Gobirus that he was the one who captured Babylon for Cyrus, but he himself was a Mede. And the Old Testament verifies that Babylon was taken over by the Medes. Isaiah 13, Isaiah 21, and Jeremiah 51 that it was the Medes who took Babylon. And this particular man, by the name of Gobirus, was the governor. And in secular history, the, the Cyrus Chronicle, or Cylinder, it says of Gobirus that he captured Babylon for, for Cyrus. And so it's believed that Cyrus gave this man charge over Babylon, that he became the ruler under Cyrus. Cyrus was the top leader because the Persians conquered the Medes. They actually were separate at one time. And Cyrus overcame the Medes, and the Medes then joined them to create the Medo-Persian Empire. And so Gobirus was subordinate 
to Cyrus, having received the kingdom of Babylon or the Chaldeans from him. And so Robert Dick Wilson believed that Gobirus is actually Darius. Because in the, in the ancient world, it was very common for kings to have more than one name. They had their personal name, and then they were given a throne name. Anyhow, I think it's worthwhile saying that about who Darius was. They did reign at the same time. Darius and Cyrus. But it appears that Darius is a subordinate to Cyrus because he is given the kingdom by, it would appear, by Cyrus. So let me move on. So he, this is Darius now. He has this, he, he is ruling over uh, Pretty much the, the, the old Babylonian Empire. But remember, the Medo-Persian Empire was much more extensive. It went clear over to India. It was, there was a lot to the Medo-Persian Empire. So he is over Babylon. And having taken over the rule of this kingdom, he now wants to get his government in place. And this is what is mentioned about he sets up 120 satraps and over them three rulers above them, called in our English version, three presidents. But don't, don't mix it up with our president. That's not the meaning and of whom Daniel is given the senior position among the presidents, and Darius wants to make Daniel the very top leader under him over the whole realm. So this is what's being established by this narrative, by Daniel. Notice how Daniel is distinguished above all the others. He had an excellent spirit That speaks, no doubt, of his attitude. He just had a great attitude. You know, an attitude can make or break a company, a business, a classroom, whatever, a church. Attitude is all important. Daniel had a great attitude, a pleasure to work with, pleasure to have around. He had an excellent spirit, but beyond that, notice he had a a sterling reputation. They couldn't find any fault with him. He was of impeccable character. He had no glaring faults. He's not saying that he's sinless. That's not how we're to read this. But he was the kind of man who was completely trustworthy. He had a great character, great attitude. And so he stood out in the mind of Darius. Darius knows a a good man when he sees one and that this is the person he wanted to rule under him over uh, his dominion, over his kingdom. Now, a satrap, let me go back to that. And this also is taken from Professor Wilson. What is a satrap? This, this is an interesting position. It's like the lord of a district or a protector of the land or the country. And apparently these were divisions, geographical divisions within his kingdom that were made. And so there was a person that oversaw this given region, this lord of a district is the idea of a satrap. And so they're kind of like a governor under the king. So he needed 120 of them in order to cover all the area that he was ruling. So these presidents, satraps, counselors, they're they're just taken with... uh, Jealousy, like I mentioned in the reading, they don't like it that Daniel's over them, that they have to give an account to Daniel. And so they want to find some way to remove him from office, to bring a charge against him so that Darius will remove him. And they they can't think of anything. There isn't anything they can get him on except his religion. 
They know Daniel is a man of God. He's devoted to God. He prays three times a day. So they concoct this plan to bring him, bring him down. Notice how they speak of him, verse 5. This Daniel, you just hear the, the venom in, the, in their jealousy. This Daniel, it's, it's Joseph's brothers. Remember how they spoke of him? This dreamer. And even the Lord Jesus Christ, the Pharisees spoke of this fellow. I mean, they couldn't even say his name in Matthew 28. Or 27, Matthew 27. This fellow, when he was alive, said that he would rise from the dead and so on. And uh, the Apostle Paul, he comes under the same abusive language when he's spoken of as a pest, a pestilence by his adversaries as well. Notice in verse 6, this word agreement. They came by agreement. Did you catch it that that appears three times in our reading? Verse 6, verse 11, and verse 15. They came by agreement. What this, what this is referring to is that all these men came together in collusion, they were conspiring together this plot against Daniel. And this is what they come up with to the king. We're going to ask the king to pass a law that's going to forbid anybody for one month to make a petition, a prayer, a request to outlaw that, except a request from you, O king. So they're appealing to Darius's ego here. You see that clearly? They're, they're tricking him. One of the easiest ways to trick people is with flattery and like that. And so Darius is all in with this because probably he's thinking... This will give me an opportunity to establish my authority in the kingdom and stabilize the kingdom. If everyone recognizes who's in charge for a month, that's long enough to get everybody on board to my rule. And so they said, King, we want you to pass this edict. Nobody can pray, make a request to any god, to any other man except you for 30 days. And they have the the famous principle of the law of the Medes and the Persians. That's another phrase that's come down to us, like the handwriting on the wall. This is another one. The law of the Medes and the Persians. What do you mean by that? Well, that means any law that's passed, it, that's it. When it's passed, it cannot be reversed. It cannot be undone. And this was a law of the Medes and the Persians. Notice that, both of the countries, this is now a new kingdom. This is the kingdom of the Medes and the Persians. It's the second in the vision of Nebuchadnezzar of the statue that began with the head of gold representing him, the kingdom of Babylon, down to the silver chest and arms. We're now in the second kingdom, the kingdom of the Medes and the Persians. So Darius is fooled by this. He goes along with it. He makes the law. O king, live forever. So it's all on the pretext of honoring the king that they persuade him to do this. Well, he's about to realize the mistake that he made. Therefore, the king signed it. He signed the law into effect. Here's a case where a law is passed that gives a basis for persecuting God's people. Think of this for a moment. A law is passed. Who do you think is driving this in the spiritual world? Well, this is truly the enemy of our souls. This is the devil appearing in the kingdom of Babylon. He had control there anyway. So the passage of a law can be as much inspired by the devil as 
inspiring the breaking of the law. Remember what the Pharisees said to Pilate during Jesus' civil trial? We have a law, and by our law he ought to die because he has made himself the Son of God. Some laws are put in place by the, by the devil in order to bring a basis for persecuting God's people. Are we living in a time like that? Now, secondly, in verses 10 to 18, we find now Daniel accused, condemned, and cast into the lion's den. 10 to 18. So after he signs it into effect, we read about Daniel. He, he's not going to change anything. <laughs> he goes about his devotion to God the same as before. When he gets home, he now he has a window. It's up high, but it's open. There's no glass there, so whatever noise is inside, it's going to be heard through the window. And then it, the enemies of Daniel come, and they hear he's praying as before. He prays three times a day, morning, noon, and night. Now, the Word of God, there is no there is no set time, particularly. It's not made a rule that God's people have to pray three times a day. I mean, actually, the New Testament says pray without ceasing. That ought to be the attitude of Christian prayer. But we do read David saying in... Psalm 55 and verse 17, Evening and morning and at noon I uttered my complaint and you heard my voice. So there is a basis for Daniel praying three times a day. Notice he got down on his knees. That's one of the postures for prayer. You find some standing up and lifting their hands to heaven. That's a posture of prayer. On your knees, being on your knees is a place of submission and humility before God. And also, I think it uh, implies that there's earnestness in the prayer when one is on his knees. Daniel is still going about his devotion to God as before. And just one other note about that, that it says that it was toward Jerusalem that he was praying. Now, that's kind of interesting. We know that the... Uh, the Muslims, they pray toward Mecca. In the Old Testament, Solomon said in his great prayer of 1 Kings 8, at the dedication of his temple, he says it seven times, in fact, in the course of his prayer, that God's people would pray toward the land, toward the city, and toward the temple. Daniel is following that, no doubt. So Daniel, he's not, uh, he doesn't pray to be seen by others, but he also, he's not afraid to be seen by others when he prays. So he just carries on as usual. So his enemies hear this, and they take it immediately to Darius, what Daniel's doing. And they, they frame it just very maliciously. Daniel, who is one of your exile, he pays no attention to you, O king. They're painting Daniel as the enemy of Darius. So they remind, why did they go to the king? Well, they want to tell the king, first of all, they've got to remind him what his, what his law was that he passed. And now here's somebody who's breaking it. What are you going to do about it? This is the law in the Medes and the Persians. You've got to cast Daniel into the lion's den. Notice that when Darius heard these words, he was much distressed. This is, this is his top ruler. He likes Daniel. <laughs> He's not against Daniel. Daniel has the favor of this secular ruler. But Darius is now in a catch-22. He cannot get out of this. He, he passed the edict. He has to enforce it. And he's trying to figure out a way to rescue Daniel all day long. He's thinking, and it comes into the evening, and they come back to him in the evening 
to remind him he passed this edict and they're pressing him to throw him into the lion's den tonight. Not to wait another day. Verse 15. Now, verses 16 to 18, uh, we have Daniel being cast into the lion's den. Notice, Daniel doesn't say a word. (laughs) Pretty amazing. He doesn't complain. Nothing. There's nothing mentioned about anything that he said. He goes along with it. And he's, apparently this was a pit underground and an opening in the ground so when Daniel is dropped in through this hole then Darius says to him he declared may your God whom you serve continually deliver you oh he 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 wants Daniel to be saved he doesn't want Daniel to be destroyed by the the wild beasts. And he puts a cover over the hole. He seals it with his ring. So nobody can disturb it. And King Darius goes home. He can't sleep. He doesn't want anything to eat. He has no entertainment. He's just thinking about Daniel the whole night. Now, verses 19 to 24, Daniel's miraculous deliverance. So come the break of day, Darius rushes to the pit. It's interesting because Darius apparently thought something was going to happen, unusual here with Daniel. Knowing Daniel's great character, his devotion to God, and what else might have tipped him off that Daniel might still be alive? Well, when Daniel fell into the pit, he probably didn't hear any roaring of the lions, no crushing of the bones, no sound. Just imagine, he fell into the lion's pit, and he didn't hear anything. Because Daniel said an angel shut their mouth. So that not only means their appetite wasn't there to chew him up, but probably also they didn't make any noise. So it was silent. He fell into the pit. They covered it up. He went away for the night, comes back in the morning. And he, he cried out in anguish. Oh, Darius loved Daniel. He declared, O Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God whom you serve continually been able to deliver you from the lions? He's waiting for an answer. O king, live forever, says Daniel. He didn't curse Darius for throwing him in. He wishes him a long and happy life. This is Daniel. My God sent his angel to shut the lion's mouths and they have not harmed me. So there is the great miracle that the lions did not touch Daniel. Neither their jaws nor their paws laid were laid on Daniel. In the New Testament, we read this about angels. And we know there's various ranks of angels. They're summer named. They're very mysterious creatures, the ones at the top especially, but they're all very mysterious, wonderful, powerful beings. But the majority of them, the ones that did not fall, that are called the holy angels, the word of God says specifically of them that they are ministering spirits who are sent to serve those who shall be the inheritors of salvation. 
In other words, the, the elect of God, the, the people of God, they are sent to wait on them, to protect them, to serve them in all the various experiences of life. How many times has your life been spared? Perhaps in a miraculous way, you're not aware of it because of an intervention of one of these wonderful creatures. You know, I was thinking about Joey Enriquez, who was with us. The Lord took him home a few years ago. Remember the story, Joey? Remember him telling me on the phone? He said, I've got to tell you what happened to me. So Joey is on the Harbor Freeway, going north toward the USC Medical Center, where he had to check in periodically. And he's in the fast lane, barreling down the freeway, and the car in front of him had a big box in the back that tumbled out. He didn't know what it was, but it fell out right in front of him. And he said that thing, the box hit the pavement, and it bounced up in the air, he said, about eight feet, it looked to him. It came down on the hood of his car, put a huge dent in the hood. That box contained an air conditioning unit. It didn't come, didn't go through the window, didn't cause him to have an accident. You always remember that story. He said, Joey, there was an angel there that bounced that thing up in the air. He wanted you to have that experience just to see his miraculous hand in your deliverance. Many times God's secret servants intervene in our behalf. The Lord encompasses those round about who fear him with his, with his angels, his heavenly host. So one comes and shuts the mouths of these lions. So they're, they're like pussy cats in the lion's den. These are hungry, starved animals, fierce creatures. Go online sometime and read about the feeding of lions. Look at the videos that come out of the various safaris and so on, of them attacking other animals. They're an amazing creature, a male lion. Any of them are, but especially the male And they didn't uh, touch Daniel all night long. Now, here's the reason. Don't miss it. The king was exceedingly glad. (laughs) That's an understatement. Exceedingly glad. He went from being distressed to being in anguish. Now he's exceedingly glad when he hears the voice of Daniel. And he commanded Daniel to be taken, notice, taken out. Of the den. He's pulled up out of the ground. So this is the indication it's a hole in the ground. Taken up out of the den. is brought out. No harm was found on him. Now, because he trusted in his God. There's the key right there. This is the key. Is Daniel's trust. Daniel could go into danger and death. Potentially. With utter calmness, he doesn't say anything because he trusted in God. Trusting in God, as we've said many times, is a step above believing in him. It's one thing to believe in God. Many people believe in God, but they don't have a trust in him. They're not looking to him daily for taking care of their needs, for example. Trusting him when they're sick. Trusting him with the care of their family, and so on. God wants to bring us to the place of absolute, childlike trust and dependence on him. The demons believe in God much stronger than any of us in this room, but they're not saved. Trust is the important thing. Daniel trusted in the Lord. Trusting is the idea of relying on him, just kicking back and putting all your weight on God. Letting him support you. Just like those bicycles, those recumbent bicycles. That's an old word that's used for faith in, by the Puritans. They like to describe faith as being recumbency. 
What does recumbency mean? It means to lean upon a thing. That's the nature of faith, leaning upon the Lord Jesus Christ, putting your full weight on him. That is in a spiritual sense. Trusting him entirely for your eternal future, your salvation from sin, your hope of future resurrection. Daniel trusted in his God. I see it evidenced in the Apostle Peter in the New Testament, if you want a good New Testament illustration of the kind of trust that gives one serenity even when facing death and danger. Look at Peter in Acts 12. Herod had put James to death, martyred him. The Apostle Peter was next. He threw Peter in prison, and that very night, Herod was going to take Peter out of prison and kill him. But it says, the text tells us, Dr. Luke tells us, that Peter was asleep. He was asleep between two soldiers. He had to be woken up by the angel when he was delivered from prison. It's amazing. Peter was totally at rest. He wasn't concerned. He wasn't uh, biting his nails in fear. He was just trusting in the Lord. And then those men that were involved in this conspiracy against Daniel, you read what happened to them? (laughs) The king, he flips the tables on them. This happens a few times in the Bible, doesn't it? This is called poetic justice. The Bible even says this. Psalm 9 says, The Lord is known by the judgments that he executes. The wicked are snared in the works of their own hands. This is one of the ways God evidences his judgment by flipping the tables on the wicked who intend to do harm to people And it ends up coming back on them. There's a proverb to the same effect, Proverbs 26, 27. Whoever digs a pit will fall into it. And the great Old Testament story of Haman, who wanted to eradicate the Jewish people from the Persian empire, the Persian rule, You remember what happened to Haman? The gallows that he had prepared for Mordecai, he ended up being hung on. This is how it works sometimes. Not every time, but sometimes it does. Now, finally, verses 25 to 28, we have Darius's decree. So like the other rulers before him who have some miraculous encounter with the God of Israel or the God of Daniel, the God of Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego, they make a decree, they make a rule that they want all their kingdom to observe. And this is an interesting with Darius. Notice the nature of his. It's a little different from the others. He makes a decree in all his royal kingdom, that people are to tremble and fear before Daniel's God. (laughs) Is there a reason to fear and tremble before Yahweh? Oh, it's a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God, the New Testament says. Our God is a consuming fire. Yes, it is a fearful and terrible thing to fall into his hands. So that's the kind of the negative side, but the positive side of fearing and trembling is that there is to be the utmost reverence and respect for him, the fear of offending him, the fear of disrespecting him. And this is the rule that Darius is making. Better not say anything negative about Yahweh. And Darius gives all the reasons why not only his subjects, but all mankind, all Americans, need to fear and tremble before the God of the Bible. He is the living God. He is a real being. His kingdom is eternal. He himself is without beginning and without end. Psalm 90 
Moses, the psalm of Moses, says, Before you created the mountains and the seas and all of that, from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. That means he, the Hebrew is from vanishing point to vanishing point. In other words, to make a line and go infinite in both directions, that's, that represents the life of this God. Well, I don't understand. God had a beginning, didn't he? No, God is without beginning. Always here, always will be. That's the number one question that my granddaughter likes to ask. She's asked it several times. Where did God come from? None of us can answer that other than to state what the Bible says. He is an eternal being. Now, we can understand eternal into the future, that one will never die, because that's how it is with us. We are immortal souls. We will never die eternally. But we all had a beginning. But not Yahweh. He was always here. That explains everything. Creation had a beginning, but God is without beginning. So he asserts that he's the living God, enduring forever. His kingdom shall never be destroyed. His dominion shall be, shall have no end. Notice, he delivers and he rescues. So he's the living God. He's the eternal God. He's the God who delivers and rescues. And he works signs and wonders. He's the miracle working God. Those are all wonderful reasons why God needs to be feared and trembled before. Powerful arguments. The one thing I wish that we read in the text is Darius saying to Daniel what Ruth said to Naomi. Your God shall be my God. We don't read that any of the rulers said this, Nebuchadnezzar, nor uh, Cyrus, nor Darius. Your God shall be my God. So let me wrap this up. This is how I want to conclude it. Because this section now, we have covered half of the book of Daniel. Chapters 1 to 6 are these great narratives, these stories. They can be followed and understood. There's not a hidden meaning in anything. It's just very straightforward narrative. We can derive great benefit from it. The time frame of these six chapters is from 605 B.C., the first year of Nebuchadnezzar over Babylon. Catch that date, 605 B.C. That's an important date in Jewish history, secular history, with the kingdom. All the way to the first year of the kingdom of the Medes and the Persians, under both Darius and Cyrus. Darius being a subordinate ruler just over Babylon, Cyrus being the top dog over the kingdom of the Medo-Persian Empire. And that takes us to the year about 538 B.C. You put those two together, we're looking at 66 to 67 years approximately. Think of this, Daniel's been there the whole time. Daniel was taken to Babylon when he was a teenager. So he's over 80 years of age now in this chapter. He's an old man when he's thrown into the lion's den. So what have we seen now in these six chapters? So we have these three world rulers, two from Babylon, Nebuchadnezzar and Belshazzar, and Darius. And all these stories revolve around them. These are three secular rulers. They're polytheists in their religion. They have a belief in many gods. They're not monotheists. These are heathen rulers who are involved in idolatry. And they are, all three of them, are confronted with the claims of the living God of Israel, represented through his servant, Daniel, and his three friends. So all the stories revolved around them, their confrontation with these rulers, 
who are proclaiming God's claims to them by the way they live, by the way they respond to edicts and decrees. And you and I, as we read these stories, the challenge to us is their loyalty and their faithfulness to God in these circumstances. They are in a foreign court. They're in a culture that is alien and hostile to our beliefs. And yet they remain faithful. In fact, what did we find with both Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and Daniel? Death is preferable to disobedience and compromise. They preferred to die rather than be unfaithful to God. This is, this is the great lesson that comes out of these chapters to us today. Death is preferable to offending him. When the Bible says that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, Proverbs 9.10, this is what we have illustrated for us here because the fear of the Lord is basically a principle that totally possesses a person where they want God's acceptance and approval at any cost, and the thing they dread the most is offending him and having him displeased with them. This is where true wisdom in life begins with that, where God is the superior thing that broods over a person, occupies their thoughts. Everything in life is related to how does God think about this? What does God want me to do? And they are driven, their life is run on that basis as to who God is and their relationship to him and wanting to keep that channel open with him. Not violating their conscience, not violating his word so that they stay in fellowship with him. This is is the fear of the Lord. This is the beginning of wisdom. Daniel and his three friends illustrate it beautifully how they operated on this principle. May the Lord help us. Now, changing gears next week, we get into the seventh chapter. Everything changes in chapter seven on through the rest of the book. It becomes difficult and somewhat complicated. We have lots of visions and things to deal with. So may the Lord bless our future studies. Thank you for joining us and listening to this message from the Ministry of Grace Providence Church in Cerritos, California. For more information, visit our website at www.graceprovidencechurch.org.